<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hi there, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here with Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, July 27, 2022. It's about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, my guest is what we call on television the tent pole, the person who raises the ratings the highest. And after Saturday, we're also uh, good friends. Scott Ritter is, of course, well experienced in the military and military intelligence and weapons inspection. Uh, and he is a regular uh, on judging freedom. We spent Saturday together at uh, a rally held by our mutual friend, Gerald Salenti, a rally for peace uh, in Kingston, New York. Scott spoke, I spoke, Phil Giraldi, another uh, regular on judging freedom spoke, and Gerald uh, spoke. Zero coverage in the media. Scott, welcome to Judging Freedom. I'm, I'm sure if what we did on Saturday had been a pro-aid to Ukraine rally, there would have been at least four or five television cameras out there uh, capturing what we said. 100%. I mean, you know, the the problem is we're, we're not on the right side of the, uh, of the narrative. We're on the right side of truth, but we're not on the right side of the narrative. And um, this country has forgotten uh, some basic principles, one of which is how important um, informed debate, dialogue, and discussion is towards shaping a democracy. And, uh, you know, we, we have the powers that be that are, um, that, that seem, um, you know, hell-bent on uh, ensuring only one side of the story is uh, is told and, and, and set doing their best to silence and suppress uh, anybody who has an alternative point of view, regardless of whether or not it's uh, fact-based or not. You, you told a remarkable and goosebump-inducing story about spending, I think, New Year's Eve at the home of your Russian counterpart and interacting with him uh, and his family uh, in Russia. Uh, I'm not sure if this is when you were in the military or when you were an arms inspector. Well, I was uh, both. I was, I was a Marine, a Marine um, officer who was serving as an arms inspector in the Soviet Union. Why does the American government hate the Russians? Why does it hate the Russian government? Well, I mean, first of all, they, 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 hate the they hated the soviet government because the soviets dared stand up to them i mean if you go back and and uh and and, and examine the the long telegram george kennan's famous uh um you know uh document that uh, started uh, the policy of containment uh, you see the resentment the seething resentment that the 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 russians slash soviets just aren't going to play ball they they refuse to allow the United States to dominate their economy. They refuse to buy into the notion that the dollar is the dominant currency. Those Soviets are evil. Um, no, they're not. They just believe in sovereignty. I'm not saying that Joseph Stalin was, was the greatest thing in the world. Or, but the point is that the, 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 there's many reasons to stand up to the Soviet Union. Um, the fact that they wouldn't buy into uh, 
Bretton Woods and uh, the, the dominance of the dollar is not one of them. And yet that's what started uh, the policy of containment. Uh, the Soviets dared act as our equals. We can't have equals. We're the United States. We're the supreme power. You can't be our equals. And then when they, uh, when the Soviet Union went away, you know, we treated the Russians as, as a defeated enemy rather than offering, offering a hand of friendship and saying, hey, let's help you up. Um, we basically went in there like carpetbaggers went into the South um, and said, "We're this is reconstruction, baby. We're going to reconstruct you whether you want it or not. And when a guy named Vladimir Putin stood up in uh, 1999-2000 and said, no, nah, those, those, those days are coming to an end. Uh, we're going to reassort our, reassert ourselves to our natural place in the world order. Not dominant power, but a power. We've resented it ever since. And that's, that's why we hate them is because the Russians refuse to play our game by our rules. But, but should that hatred be manifested into violence uh, as it is now in Ukraine? You have argued, our colleagues Phil uh, Giraldi and uh, Colonel Doug McGregor have argued, that without uh, American support, there would be no war in Ukraine. It would be over, and there'd be a lot less bloodshed. It, it is the vindication of our hatred worth the bloodshed and the arms and the treasure that we are expending and causing? Well, the short answer is no, uh, and the long answer is hell no. Um, the you know this 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 war is criminal in nature. Um, it, you know, and and. The United States needs to count its blessings that um, we won't find ourselves um, ever, in, in at least not anytime soon, as a defeated nation held accountable to the jurisdiction of others. Because if we were, uh, the retribution would be would be terrible and much of it well deserved. Uh, we behave as a as, as a spoiled um, superpower. We demand that the world operate on our, our terms, our rule book. I mean, the rules-based international order is the mantra of, of successive American presidential administrations. It means that the world must march to our tune and only our tune. I'm a proud American. I believe we have a lot to offer the world. I believe we have uh, leadership capabilities that you know could be uh, used to great effect in the world. But I'm also somebody who recognizes that the world is populated by human beings who aren't American and have their own sovereign interests and their own sovereign rights. And who are we to go around dictating their lives to them? And yet that's what we're doing. And Ukraine is a manifestation of that. It's our effort to impose our will, not only on Ukraine, not only on Russia, but Europe as a whole. Understand the Ukrainian conflict is a regional conflict not just limited between Ukraine and Russia. It's now a proxy conflict between Europe, the United States, and Russia. And the harm that comes from this conflict resonates beyond the borders of Ukraine. The economic harm isn't just in Europe where they're paying a heavy price, but because of food shortages and the, the inability to ship a fertilizer, we're talking about the potential of a global famine. Now, Joe Biden would like to say that's, that's Putin's fault. It's not. Joe Biden's fault. So, um, why is Vladimir Putin afraid of NATO? I mean, does NATO seriously threaten him, or is NATO a tissue paper thin? Uh, first of all, I don't think Vladimir Putin is afraid of NATO. Uh, I think he respects NATO's um, history. I think he respects uh, NATO's nuclear weapons, and I think he respects NATO's potential. Um, but at no time has he been willing to subordinate 
Russia's legitimate national security concerns um, to a NATO agenda. And, and we saw this from the moment he became president of Russia, where he said, I'd like to be a partner. I'd like to work with NATO. He even told Clinton, I'd like, you know, if you guys are worried about Russia, why not invite us into NATO? And that way you don't have to worry about us. We'll be part of your organization. We'll be part of your team. Clinton wouldn't have anything to do with it. In 2007, uh, Putin put the marker down. I mean, one of the greatest speeches of, of, of modern times is his presentation to the Munich Security Conference in 2007. I encourage everybody to go listen to it, not just the speech, but more importantly, the answers he gave afterwards to the questions that were given to him. This is a world leader who is totally in control of his material, who knows who he is, what he is, what his history is, and lays the hard facts down there and watch as the Western leaders uh, shake in their, in their seats uncomfortably. People like John McCain weren't happy about what Putin was laying down. When the uh, CIA fomented uh, the coup in uh, Ukraine in 2014, could that have happened uh, without the authorization of the president of the United States? It was Barack Obama at the time. I, I believe not. Um, I, I believe that the, the people who were involved were at such a level. I mean, we're talking Victoria Newland. Uh, we're talking about Joe Biden, vice president. Uh, you know, and, and, and we're talking about the director of the CIA. Um, the, the people that were involved were so senior that it literally constitutes the, the the cabinet level decision making capacity of the Biden administration. So this wasn't um, some this wasn't like the uh, you know the coup that took place in 1953 in Iran against Mossadegh, where you basically had some CIA guys and British MI6 guys running this little rogue operation that got out of control. Um, this this came from the top. This was part and parcel because remember before 1940 or before 2014 in the uh, coup in the Maidan. Um, remember 2009, the the Russian reset, <laughs> the embarrassing moment where uh, you know Hillary Clinton goes up to uh, Sergey Lavrov with the red button with the misspelled <laughs> word, and, uh, and and Lavrov was a gentleman and, and and took it in good stride. But you know they called it reset. It was a policy that was uh, crafted by Michael McFaul, uh, who went who was a time national security advisor, uh, Russian area national security advisor to the president, went on to become the ambassador uh, to Russia. But instead of reset, what every American has to understand is that the policy was regime change, that the purpose of the policy was to keep Dmitry Medvedev, who had replaced Putin as the president after Putin served two terms, Putin went on to be prime minister, to keep Medvedev in and keep Putin out. And when Putin refused to play that game and actually went back one re-election in uh, March of 2012, um, from that moment on, the Obama administration was you know, was focused on removing him from power. And the, the coup in Maidan was part of a grand strategy of isolating and weakening Russia. And it was did done they, under the instructions of Barack Obama. Plain and did, they not, did they not foresee the type of uh, military response to a pro-Western, anti-Russian government, which from Putin's perspective is a puppet of the United States. And that is a realistic perspective. They're more than a puppet. They're a vassal state at this point. Um, look, in, in 2008, Russia fought a short little war with Georgia. Uh, five days it lasted. And Russia won. 
But every military analyst took a look at the performance of the Russian army and said, this is an army that cannot stand up against NATO. Uh, it's, 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 it's literally a, a dinosaur. Uh, it, 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 it's too attached to old Soviet ways, old Soviet equipment. Um, and it's just not capable of performing to the level necessary uh, to stand toe-to-toe with NATO. Um, and that mindset continued. What, what they didn't understand is that the Russians were looking at the same results and went, holy cow, we can't stand toe-to-toe with NATO. We had better change the way we do business. And they did. For the next six years, Russia rebuilt its military. The military that uh, made the move on Crimea in 2014 was not the military of 2008. And the military that went into Ukraine in 2022 was not the military of 2014. The Russians have been singularly focused on one thing, being able to stand up to NATO and beat NATO in a, in a full-on fight. This is while NATO and the United States were trapped in Afghanistan for two decades, allowing their military capacity to wither. Uh, instead of being prepared to fight large-scale ground combat in Europe, we were figuring out how to kick down doors in uh you know, in, in, in remote villages in Afghanistan. Uh, why didn't we learn? The ones why, didn't, why didn't we learn a lesson from Gorbachev and the Russians and their failure in Afghanistan? They lost a hundred thousand Russian soldiers. Uh, because the United States, I mean, you want the honest answer? It's because the uh, we have generals who are cowards. That's the bottom line. We have generals who become politicians. We have generals who realize that if they play the game, when they retire, they're going to get a board. Uh, board membership, uh, the revolving door into corporate America, and they're going to live comfortably the rest of their lives. And the way you guarantee you retire is that when you testify for the United States Congress, you tell them what they want to hear, what not the hard truth was. Do you really think Reyes would be the national hero if he stood in front of Congress and said, we can't win in Afghanistan. We need to withdraw now. There's no strategy I can give you or any general can give you for victory because we can't win. Congress would have went, Next, and they'd probably bring up some sycophant who would sit there and go, oh, no, I think it, we can win if you just give me more troops and more money. More troops and more money, we can win because we're America. We never lose. Well, we lost. doesn't seem like this is going to change, Scott. Uh, what you have uh, outlined, with the possible exception of the, uh, of the Trump years, uh, although the, the globalists in the State Department were still there, what you've outlined has been uh, the mindset for a couple of generations. You know, Reagan said, tear down the wall. The wall f- falls in East Berlin under uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush. But the, the mindset about NATO and American superiority uh, over the Russians and the willingness to take the Russians on, it doesn't matter if the president is a Republican or a Democrat. No, it's 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 arrogance. It's hubris. And, uh, you know, that's that's going to be the the ruination of, of the United States. We are a great nation. We are a great people. We are capable of great things, but we have to be honest. We have to be honest with ourselves. You know, nothing great happens by itself. It doesn't happen without breaking a sweat. This requires work. And it seems that we've become so accustomed to snapping our fingers and having things happen that we forgot how to do just the basic, the fundamentals. If you want to have a good military, you have to actually train, train a lot. It costs a lot of money. If we spent more money on training our troops and less money on procuring F-35 fighters that don't work, maybe we'd have a military worthy of the name, but we don't. We spend nearly $800 billion a year on our, on our military, and we can't stand toe-to-toe with Russia, 
who spends $48 billion. Think about it. $800 billion is more than the total military budgets of the next 12 countries in the world, yep. which includes China and, includes and Russia. Russia. Yeah. And you're telling me that Russia completely transformed and reformed its military between 2008 and 2014. It got rid of the old Soviet model, the old Soviet equipment, the Soviet mindset, and became the modern fighting force that it is today. What the hell are we doing with $800 billion? It's going into a lot of people's pockets. I mean, our, our procurement system is one of the most inefficient imaginable. By the time we conceive a product, and in between the conception and the actual uh, employment, the fielding of the product, you know, it, up to 10 years, 15 years can go by. And in the whole time, we're trying to upgrade it, make it do more than it was originally designed to do. So in the end, we have this Frankenstein that doesn't work. Look at the F-35 fighter. Um, it, it, I mean, look at almost anything we give our military. It's over-engineered, overly complicated, difficult to maintain, and doesn't do what it's intended to do. If I were, you know, Ma, Pa, America, and my son and daughter were thinking about going in the military, I'd be hesitant, not because this isn't a country worth defending, but that our military isn't up to the task of receiving these fine Americans and giving them the training, the equipment, and the mission worthy of the sacrifice we're asking of them. And what will it take to change this? It will take an entirely different mindset in the White House, in the Pentagon, and in the State Department, will it not? And, and, and in Congress, I mean, in fairness to Joe Biden, and it's difficult to be fair to him today, <laughs> he asked for $750 billion for the Pentagon. Congress gave him $800 billion. There must have been some friends of members of Congress whose pockets they needed to line. Oh, there's, there's, look, one only has to go through, for instance, the Air Force procurement and take a look at the airframes that are being purchased that the Air Force doesn't want. Um, Congress the Air Force doesn't want that the Air Force doesn't want and claims it doesn't need, but Congress continues to buy them because you have to keep the factories running that are in the you know districts of of, of different congressmen. The way you know the B one bomber was probably the ruination of America because that bomber was broken down into various uh, constituent parts, and the factories that were used to build those parts were distributed as widely as possible across America so that every major congressional district had a vested stake in the B-1 bomber. And that's been the approach of almost every major military program since then. So this is about Congress making money. This isn't about defending America. That's where your 800 billion goes. It's basically, you know, we keep saying we're not socialist, but what do you call an $800 billion gift to defense industry? That's socialism, man. That's American taxpayer dollars being used to underwrite industries that frankly speaking, aren't serving the best interests of the United States. They're making money for people, but it's not making America stronger. Why does Russia have a better army than we do at $48 billion? Why? Answer that question. No one can. Wow. Scott, very few people are willing to say what you say with the background knowledge and authority with which you say it. We're deeply grateful that you say it here on Judging Freedom. It's always a pleasure, my friend. Let's not wait another 20 years before we see each other. No, no, no. <laughs> in, uh, in person. All, all the best to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Have, have a great day. You too. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.